Take your Bibles, if you will, your copy of the Word of God. Isn't it great just knowing that God has not left us without a witness? He's given us in writing. Uh, it is great. Second Timothy chapter 2, about halfway through this last epistle of Paul. Definitely the last one to his son in the faith. It's believed that right after this epistle, he's, he gave his life. But 2 Timothy chapter 2, I want to begin reading right there in verse number 19. Uh, we have been through this chapter uh, already, I think two sermons already, maybe even three, uh, from chapter 2. I think the first one was a mixture between chapter 1 and chapter 2. But I, I think we're going to, Lord willing, finish out the chapter this evening or this morning. Uh, but I want to read the entire chapter because it kind of it kind of makes sense. It kind of all goes together. And it's all I mean, we could the whole epistle, but uh, we'll, we'll go through just this first chapter. I want you to begin reading right there in verse number one. And then when we get down to 19, we'll finish out, of course, down to 26. But the thrust and the main points of our message will be uh, beginning in 19. But verse one says, thou, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say. And the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Verse 8 says, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer and even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, and that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying. For if we be dead with Him, we shall also live with Him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. If we believe not, yet He abideth faithful, He cannot deny Himself. Of these things, young Timothy, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the, uh, to the subverting of hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Verse 19 says, Nevertheless, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are His. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the Master's use. And prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but follow after righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, 
and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you again for your son, for the cross, for you walking out of that tomb, Lord, forever living. Lord, we serve a risen Savior, and we're so very thankful for that, Lord. We want to see you high and lifted up in our hearts and minds today. Lord, may today be all about you. May tomorrow be all about you. And help us together as we gather here, Lord, to just ignore the world for a moment. Lord, ignore our mourning. Help me to ignore the things that are on the agenda for after this and tomorrow and Monday and Tuesday and all those things and just focus on you and you alone. Lord, help us to see you high and lifted up. Lord, meet with us. Lord, we love you this morning and we're thankful for who you are and we're thankful for saving us and giving us eternal life, Lord. And in your precious and holy name do we pray. Amen. Amen. So I want to go through this begin, again, beginning in verse 19. But before we start, I want to ask a question. Is it going to be hot in here? Yeah. It is hot. So if y'all want to turn those heaters off out there, if you like, I'm going to crack this window up here. These heaters are already off. So feel free to do whatever you got to do back there. It's hot. I would turn the fans on, but I don't know how that would, how that would go. It kind of flickers a little bit with the lights. But anyway, I want, to, I want to share with you a story before we kind of get started. About a decade ago, many of y'all know I spent a few years in the military. But about a decade ago, I had a subordinate leader who was a continent. This is a sad story. He was a continent away from his wife. And he confessed to me that he failed morally by committing adultery. In his sober mind, in his now sober mind, he could not bear the weight of sin upon him. Nor the thought of his 10-year marriage going down the drain. All was lost because of this one act of this very bad choice. Most Christians and even unbelievers are appalled at such behavior. It's very offensive. And many consider it outrageously egregious and even unforgivable. But this is exactly how God views our sins. In Jeremiah 3.20, the Bible says, Surely as a wife treacherously departeth from her husband, so hath ye dealt treacherously with me. And James wrote in the New Testament in chapter 4 that those who choose the things of this world over the things of God, he calls them adulterers and adulteresses. Now, even though we would not call it such today, we're not that bold when we reference our own sins, are we? But we, you and I, unfortunately already know, we know what it's like to commit spiritual adultery. We're guilty. And going on with Paul's analogy of a soldier, our spiritual failures, our shortcomings, this is not a negative message, by the way, it's a positive message, but our shortcomings, uh, our shortfalls, or we fall short of the glory of God, they can sometimes lead us to believe that it's all over with God. We can come, we can easily, you, you and I, you both know that we can easily come to a conclusion, we're like, you know, God's done with me. There's no way. I keep failing over and over and over again. I've committed a spiritual adultery. I've sinned against God. It's, it's all over. We even come to the conclusion that we are not a soldier in his army anymore. On one hand, this morning, you can rest assured because if you are saved, you will always belong to him. But on the other hand, I get it. We all get it. We understand because sometimes we feel so far from our Savior. Am I the only one? Sometimes you get there and you're trying to pray, but you just don't know how to pray. You feel so far from the one 
whom you say is your Redeemer. We feel so far from actually being a soldier in the Lord's army, we feel like we've been discharged. We may have even come to the conclusion that we're not fit for duty anymore. We're not meat for the master's use. I want to encourage you this morning that you can't be. I want to encourage you this morning that if this is you or, or where you were or where you think you might be going, the Bible teaches that we can be meat for the master's use. We can be as Christians fit for the father. But as a Christian, and I can't emphasize enough, as a Christian, as a Christian, not as anybody else, as one of his, you must be a Christian. There are some things we must do in order to be fit for the father. And again, going along with Paul's analogy here of a Christian soldier, it's time for many of us, and even on a day-to-day basis sometimes, to get back in that fight, to get back in the fight, to re-enlist. I've kind of, I've entitled this message tonight, or this morning, re-enlist. Now, we're going to talk about, you know, if, if we're in that position, we're not really out of the Lord's army, but in our minds, we get there. Right. We, we know we know how we fall down sometimes and we can't see the end of the tunnel, so to speak. But this morning, I want to talk to you about reenlisting in the Lord's army. Don't worry about what you have to offer him. Don't be overly concerned about the past. Repent of your spiritual waywardness and simply surrender yourself to him. That's That's what we're supposed to do. That's what we are called to do. You know, referring to the Macedonian Christians, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, that they first did what? They gave themselves to the Lord. And friends, as Christians, that's where it begins. We must give ourselves to the Lord. So re-enlist, refocus, get recharged, rekindled, whatever we want to call it. Forget about your desires, forget about yourself, and get back into the good fight of faith. i got to tell you, sometimes we're, we're fighting... And we're in the good fight of faith, but we know we're not at peak performance, if you will. God wants us to be all in, all the way in. No reserves, no, no giving up or anything. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Be all in. Re-enlist. Fight the good fight of faith. Get back in. Get off the mat. Whatever you want to use. But if by chance you were here this morning and you were without Christ, and you have never experienced a love and grace offered by Jesus Christ... It's free. I challenge you to enlist this morning. Give your life to Jesus Christ. Just give it to him. You know, God sent his only begotten son, God in the flesh, to a hill far away from here to die on an old rugged cross to bleed for you and for me, for my sins and your sins. And he went to the cross because of us. Because of us, because of his love for us. He loved us so much that he died for us in order to create a path, to blaze a path right back to our creator God. Friends, Jesus is the answer. The Bible says in Acts 4.12, There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus is the answer. He is the answer. He's the answer to your sin, your death, your lack of hope, your lack of happiness, the answer to your lack of peace, the answer to your lack of courage, to answer to your weak relationships, your struggling power, your struggling friendships. Jesus is the answer. Receive him as your personal savior. And I promise with every fiber of my being that you will begin a life, eternal life, mind you, of joy and peace 
in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not talking about tangible things. I'm talking about inner peace. Peace, biblical peace, is not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit of God within us. We need that, and God promises that when we are saved. And for us who are already in the household of God, already in the family of God, whether it's been a couple minutes, maybe you just got saved, or maybe it's been a few years, we should readily admit that we always need to be reminded of some things. Reminders. I mean, if you go through the Bible and look at how many times Paul says, I want to put you in remembrance of some things. It's a lot of things. It's almost in every epistle. So it's my prayer this, this morning that the follow of imperative that we see here in 2 Timothy would be a great help to you. They were an encouragement to me. In a very real and practical sense, these truths that we're going to talk about this morning, we're going to deduce some truths from the text here this morning, they will prove to be a biblical pattern for a recovering Christian. In other words, you are saved, you know you're saved, you're walking with the Lord, and then you just kind of get off path somewhere. You're the prodigal or whatever it may be. I've been there. i got loved ones who are there. There's a way back. You can come back. Notice verse 26 again in this, in this chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look at the last verse. The Bible says, and, they, and that they may recover themselves. That they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. You know, recover, what does recover mean? It means to return to a previous state, to recover to that state. And in this case, it means for us to get back in the fight. Again, the title of this message is Re-Enlist, so we're going to look at a handful of things that will help us get back in the fight. Steps, if you will, that get us back where we need to be. In the last half of this chapter, beginning in verse 19, Paul gives direct, applicable guidance for each one of us, regardless of where we're at in our walk with the Lord. If you remember last Sunday, I closed or came near to a close talking about our next point for today, this morning, would be depart from iniquity. Well, we're going to revisit verse 19 again. Verse 19 says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. So number one, this morning, if you want to take notes, number one, remember your foundation. Make lots of space. I have seven points this morning. They're short ones, I, I hope. But remember your foundation. As a Christian, who is your foundation? No other foundation that can be laid than that which is Jesus Christ, Paul says. Remember your foundation. By contrast, notice verse 26 again, which states that there are some who are taken captive by him. Who's him? Satan. And once we read through these passages a few times, we'll see that Paul is most likely referring to those whose faith has been overthrown. Look at verse 18 again. Who concerning the truth, this is Hymenaeus and Philetus, they said that the resurrection was, was past already. And that's just one untruth that they used. But Paul is warning us of many untruths, words to no profit, uh, vain and profane babblings there in verse 16. But then their faith is overthrown. In other words, because the Bible clearly teaches eternal life. These, this, was, this is something that's very important to see here. Now, Let's take your Bible real quick and go to, leave your place there and go to Peter, 1 Peter. I want to point something out to you again. For those of y'all who have been going along and been with us for a while, you probably already, you remember this from when we went, when we went through 1 Peter. 
There is a passage in here that I want to point out that really kind of drives home some things for us to see this morning. I'll make sure I find the passage real quick. Oh, I see 2 Peter. Go to 2 Peter, look at verse number 8 of chapter 1. After verses 5, 6, and 7, he talks about in seven, godliness, brotherly love, temperance, patience, all of these fruit of the Spirit, if you will. Verse number 8 says, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things, these are Christians now, he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So these Christians here forgot that they forgot the cross. They forgot that they were saved. And this is what Paul was talking about back here in 2 Timothy chapter 2. The words to no profit, those who have their faith overthrown. Again, the Bible teaches eternal life. So these satanic captives, if you will, they are Christians who have been subverted. They are Christians who've been subverted by the words to no profit, by profane and vain babblings who forgot the cross. They forgot the cross. Remember last week we talked about the dangers of those profane babblings. What do they do? They're like a canker, the Bible says. They're like gangrene. They're the Christian Superman's kryptonite, if you will, right? They eat away at our godliness, the Bible says, until it's all gone. They rip away every semblance of faith from our lives, these, these babblings, these false teachers. But as we will see in these few passages here, these short but rich passages, there's always a way back. Why? Because the foundation of God standeth sure. The foundation of God standeth sure. Friends, we talked about it last week. We can fall all day long, but we're not going through a foundation. God is our foundation. And one of the greatest things about salvation is that regardless of our doing, it is sealed by God. Speaking of his own faith in Christ, Paul wrote this in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Later on in that same book, in chapter 4, he continues by writing, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed until the day of redemption. And then back in our text here in verse 19, the seal used for the surety of the kingdom of God is what? Knowledge. The knowledge of God. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are His. Praise God. So the first step, again, back to God for any Christian in any situation is to remember your foundation. What's that you got written on your wall, Brother Jeff? Remember whose you are? Who you are and whose you are. You belong to God. Listen, if we've drifted from the Lord, if we drifted from His Word or His church, remember, it's the Lord that's your Savior. The Satan wants to be your captor. He cannot do anything for you but deceive you. He wants to be your captor, or He is already. And if you are truly saved, but you are also entangled and entrenched in the mires of sin, know that with, 
Know, know this. If this box right here were a prison cell, and this is the cell that you're in of sin, you, you're stuck in there. But if you are a Christian, you're stuck in there because you want to be there because the door cannot be closed. All you got to do is walk away. God became that door. Jesus is the door. That door cannot be closed. It's like you're standing over here trying to get out of your sin, self-made prison, and the door is wide open. All you have to do is walk out. You are only a POW because you want to be. Because God has paid that price. Because you are His. You are His and know that you are His. You belong to God, not Satan. He is the defeated captor. Remember your foundation. It stands sure. It cannot be closed. It cannot be destroyed. You cannot be lost. But while our foundation of God does stand sure because of Christ, notice the last half of that verse there in verse 19. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So number two, remove yourself from iniquity. You know, if you were in that prison... Remember that God has already paid your redemption. Sin has no power over you. But you got to walk away. Depart. God would not give us a command to depart if we could not depart. You must walk away. Some ask, some may ask, and I've had this asked before. Do you mean God's grace doesn't give me a license to sin? If, if I like the prison cell that I am, can I just hang out there? Can I not just enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season? If I can't lose my salvation, why can't I live however I want to live? Right, that's the argument against eternal life. But I think the answer is quite obvious on many levels. But at the end of Galatians chapter 2, Paul wrote this. I am crucified with Christ. Crucified. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Christ liveth in me while I choose to be in a prison. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live, Paul says, by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. You see, when we are saved, you and I are crucified with Christ. In Galatians 5.24, Paul continued that thought by saying, They that are Christ's have crucified the flesh. There's no getting to Christ without self-crucifixion in Christ. Given yourself to him. In chapter 6 of verse 14, he states that because Christ went to the cross, Paul says, my entire world or the entire world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. I'm not going to glory in myself or anything in the world. I'm going to glory in what? The cross. And back in our text, as clear as, as, as can be written, I think, the Bible states in verse 19, if you claim the name of Jesus Christ, you are to walk away. You are to depart from iniquity. Remove yourself. Why can I say this? Above all things, he is worthy. Just simply, Jesus is worthy. I got a little thing up here. It says, do they see Jesus? We're going to get one written back there on that door back there. But we are here to see Jesus this morning. He is worthy of our very best. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you do what? Present your bodies a living sacrifice. We need to give ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. Depart from iniquity because He is worthy. And going along with Paul's thoughts here, since Jesus loves me, and since Jesus gave Himself for me, and because I choose not to frustrate the grace of God, 
I'm going to love him and give my life to him because I don't want to frustrate what he's done for me. Departing from iniquity is really only the only logical conclusion. If I remember whose I am, the only logical conclusion is for me to live for him, to live for that foundation, to depart from all those things that are against him. Abstaining from sins of pleasure is truly a small price to pay for receiving what I could never earn in the first place. And continuing on in our steps to being reconciled to God, we see remember your foundation, remove yourself from iniquity. Paul continues by giving us some details here of some situational awareness. Look at verse 20 again. After he says, the foundation of God standeth sure, the Lord knows who are his, let us depart from iniquity. Verse 20 says, but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Timothy, flee also youthful lust, but follow after righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So Paul really gives us some situational awareness here by referencing a great house, a great house. Some commentators suggest that this great house represents the local church. But I but I believe for many scriptural reasons, it has to be bigger than that. It's got to be bigger than that. It's got to represent all of Christendom. All those who name the name of Jesus Christ in or without of the local church. In other words, it represents all of those who have confessed Jesus as their Savior. And with that said, with that knowledge, the third step for the recovering Christian is really threefold out of these, out of these texts here. We see that we are to purge ourselves, to flee youthful lust, and to avoid foolish and unlearned questions. And I've placed all of that on the one main point in that every child of God should reject unrighteous fellowship. We already talked about removing from iniquity. Now, when that happens, I don't know about you, but I've been there. You know, I was I've not always been who I am today. God God's still working on me like that little kid song does. You know, he's still working on me. No doubt about that. But I've been in those places where you try to pull yourself away from the sin. You depart from the iniquity. And it's not always just yourself that wants to keep you there, but those who are also still there. They want to keep you in there. Paul says to Timothy, God says to us, reject unrighteous fellowship. We've all heard the saying and even experienced it or even seen it happen before. One bad apple does what to the bunch? It spoils it. In this case, vessels of dishonor spoil vessels of honor. There are many Many applications in this passage. But we can see that we as Christians have a responsibility. There is something that we must do, as the Bible says here, to be meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Do we not? Does not every Christian that cares anything about what God's done for him on the cross, I think that's a prerequisite to be a Christian, part of it, but we should have a we should want to be used of God. There should be a great desire for us to be prepared unto every good work. But God demands clean tools. He demands clean tools. The Bible states in 2 Corinthians 6, 17, Come out from among them and be ye separate. 
In Genesis 35, 2, Jacob told his household to put away the strange gods and be clean. Every Christian should have a desire, again, to be a vessel unto honor. It begins with departing from iniquity and from those who are not meet for the master's use, nor themselves prepared unto every good work. And again, it's not that we leave them to their own devices. We don't leave them in their sin. And we'll get to how we're supposed to deal with those here in a moment. But we are to purge ourselves from those vessels of dishonor. And what is unique about this passage, if you're following along here, is that these vessels of dishonor are most likely believers who can be vessels of honor. I know you can make applications in there, being lost and saved. I get all that. I understand that. But in order to be used of God, we not only need to remove ourselves from iniquity, but also from those who themselves refuse to seek God. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters. He's going to to hate one and love the other. So we cannot be, you and I cannot be meet for the master's use. We cannot be prepared unto every good work while being influenced by those who couldn't care less about the work of God. Why is it that Christians, I'm guilty, I was in the military for a number of years, I, I know what it's like. We're Christians and we maybe chalk it up, I'm the light in the dark world, but we're not really shining anything, but we're hanging around all these other folks off-duty, I'm not talking about what you have to do, what's required of you. You're choosing to be influenced by many of these other people. We cannot be prepared unto every good work by being influenced by those who could not care less about the things of God. They are the mission. And personally, I think this text goes a little farther than just our closest friends, but even to our influences. It goes to the workplace. It goes to social media, to music to TV, and so forth. How can we be clean vessels if we allow the world to influence us and not the things of God? There is a significant amount of responsibility here for the Christian in living a clean life before God. You know, many of God's blessings are restricted to clean Christians. Our own recent history in America and around the world, as one author put it, says every evangelist who was used mightily in revival work. You name them. From Charles Spurgeon to R.A. Torrey to D.L. Moody to Billy Sunday, all of them lived lived clean lives. They were separated unto God. Friends, our hearts and lives can never be purged too often. Never. We can never be too clean. And again, I must say, before, before it goes into the thoughts of maybe some folks here or maybe on, on the Internet... We do not do this to earn salvation. We do not live a clean life to earn God's merit. We live a clean life in a separate life because we love Him. I do things for my wife because I love her, not because I look for her approval. I love her. Approval is nice, though, right? <laughs> Even also from God. We can study to show ourselves approved. May we be like David and cry out to God and say, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Lord, see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, if there's ever a time, I know that preachers have been saying this for a long time, but there's ever a time for Christians to get on fire and live for the Lord, it's now. We need Christians who are all in. Let's be be those Christians. And as we can see in the texture, God, he He just doesn't lead us to flee from 
these folks. I like that God never just gives us, hey, get away from them. But he always follows up and says, follow me. Get away from that. Don't go this direction, but go this direction. And ultimately, we are to run to him because he alone is our refuge and strength. But verse 22 gives us some tangible direction, a tangible and clear practical direction for the recovering Christian. Look at verse 22. It says, flee also youthful lust, but then what? Follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So after being reminded of our sure foundation in God and removing ourselves from iniquity and those who oppose God, we are to run with them who call on the Lord, follow righteousness and faith out of a pure heart. Now think about this practically. If you or someone you know is running with the wrong crowd, but then they begin to run with the right crowd, what does that look like? I mean, what does that really look like? I mean, in your own experience, when you see somebody running with the wrong crowd, and then you see them starting running with the crowd, the right crowd, according to Scripture, what does that look like? I mean, where do those who follow righteousness, faith, and charity, and peace, where do they hang out at? In the church. They hang out at church on a regular basis. It really should go without saying that the Christian who has any desire to recover his life of faith should fall in love with the gathering of God's people. Amen. I shared with you that a long time ago, somewhere along the line, I made a commitment to be committed to God's church. I, in my mind, I believe that God put this conviction in me. My commitment to him will be evident in my commitment to his local church. I didn't want to do it, but I committed to it. And somewhere along the line, my wife and I fell in love with the, God, the gathering of God's people it's strikingly common to learn that when we have no desire to gather with the saints, it's when we really, it's when we really need it the most. It's like the old saying when you're, when you're raising children, when you really don't want to hug that child, that's when they need that hug the most. And for whatever reason, Christians, me being one of those, who are not deterred by obstacles to do other things in life, stumble over the smallest things when it comes to church. Hebrews 10.25 states that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, as some Christians do, but exhort one another. And here in our text, Paul contrasts the vessels of honor with vessels of dishonor, and we are to purge ourselves from the world and immerse ourselves in the worship of God's people, with the worship of God's people. Let me just say this. I don't want to park here too long because people get touchy when you talk about church attendance. But let me just say this before, before we move on. After reading verse 22 and making a self-examination of myself, I asked myself this question, these questions. Look at verse 22 again. Follow after righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Do I follow righteousness? Do I follow righteousness? Do you? Do I follow faith? Do I follow charity? Do I love? Do I follow love? Do I follow peace? Do I seek for controversy or do I follow peace? Do I follow them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart? Is this who I am? Am I a vessel under honor? You know, the word follow in the Greek means to follow hard after. It means to be a disciple. In fact, it's closely related, very closely related to the word deacon. 
to serve. Are we servants of righteousness? Faith, charity, peace? Are we a servant of them that call on the name of the Lord? I get it. For me as a preacher, all of my friends locally are in some way, shape, or form connected to Homeless Baptist Church. I have that luxury. It wasn't always like that. Uh, whether you are a member, visitor, or someone who, who hopefully will trust in the Lord through you know, sharing the gospel, uh, along with my family, this, this ministry, it's my life. I understand that. And the majority of you will come and go. Three years from now, the majority of you won't be here. Hopefully a new crowd will come in. Now, don't take that as a please leave. I'd like to stay here for I wish they just stop PCSing and just leave you here. And we just get. <laughs> but I want to challenge you while you are here. Use this time to fall in love with God's people. Fall in love with the church. This is what Christ died for. Create a habit of hanging around God's people. We're just like everybody else, to be honest with you. We're just saved by grace. Sinners saved by grace. But we should all have a common goal, and that's to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're around church long enough, you're going to be, you're going to be made mad. You're going, to be, you're going to have all the things that you normally have, but hopefully they'll have a common goal to, to reach out to the Lord Jesus Christ and repentance, which we'll talk about here in a moment. A repentant, loving lifestyle. People are people, and where people are, they're unfortunately problems. But there's also much joy in God's people. Build a disciplined commitment to the gathering of God's people. Because not only is Jesus worthy, but you need the church. And the church needs you. You will not stay on the victorious side of the good fight of faith without being immersed in the house of God. It will not happen. I promise. It will not happen. And continuing in our Steps of recovery or maintaining victory. I want you to notice verses 24 and 25 again. Verse 24 says, In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. Or no, verse 24 says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach. In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the, to the acknowledging of the truth. This step is a step I think often forgotten. I forgot it in my own life. But as we ascend from the depths of where we used to be, we must always remember to bring others with us, to reach others in meekness. And wherever we are in our Christian walk, whether we just saved yesterday, you've been saved for you know, 100 years or so, we must reach others in meekness. And for those of us who are not necessarily in recovery mode, per se, this fifth step can really stand on its own. Because every Christian should care about the backslidden believer. You see, I was that backslidden believer one time. For about 10 years. I didn't think about anything about what the Lord wanted me to do. I didn't care about the church. I didn't read my Bible. I didn't pray. I was saved. I was saved at a younger age and just got away from the Lord. A decade I want to tell you that it requires great, meek, great meekness for the one reaching that unrepentant heart. Great meekness. I've said this quite often in my later years. I don't get it that they don't get it. And while that statement might be true, we must be very careful as Christians who quote unquote get it. 
Listen here, every, if everyone who names the name of Christ is a true believer, that means this world is filled with hurting Christians. This world is filled with Christians that are not in church. From drugs to depression, many believers are broken. Broken. We're fooling ourselves if it's only the lost that are going through those things. There are believers out there struggling. We must reach them with meekness. Now, you've been in this church longer than a couple weeks. You know that we have a strong emphasis on evangelism. We want to reach the lost, but we cannot forget about our brethren. We must reach them with meekness. Tell them the truth, yes. Tell them the bold truth and the consequences of a rebellious lie, but tell them in love and in meekness. And if you are doing your best to get back in the saddle, so to speak, if you are finding your way back to God, if you're here and this is a message that's speaking right to you, take others with you. Bring them with you. Bring them to the Lord. And know that reaching others in meekness goes hand in hand with this. And in my own life, and I'll talk about this a little bit more, when we reach others in meekness, we must always be able to be reached in meekness. So number Number six here, we must receive instruction. You and I as Christians must be teachable. Even as a pastor, as a preacher of the gospel, I am constantly learning. Constantly learning. My father once told me that when I think I'm good enough at something, I'll never get any better. And I think he's true. I think it's right. When we think we have it all figured out, it's then we should realize that we don't. One of the pastors I follow quite often and I allow him to influence me. I allow about a handful of preachers to influence me because I'm careful about the, of these things. He has almost 40 years of pastoring the same church and he will tell you, I don't have it figured out. I don't have it figured out. You know, the Bible states that the Holy Spirit will teach us all things. In other words, God is our greatest teacher. He teaches through his word, through preachers, through counselors, through circumstance. But we must receive it. I know this is maybe a little bit longer than normal message. And maybe it's not as exciting as we like talking about when we get to Easter and all those things like that. But I want to just say never get to a point where you think you, you've got enough. I heard, a, I heard a person tell me one time, I go to church enough. How can one more service help me? Tonight, as we begin our study in the doctrine of God, we will see that even Paul desired more knowledge. And referring back again to my own life of rebellion, when faithful Christians reached out to me in meekness, I had a choice to make. Do I get upset about the truths that he's pointing out in my life? About the sin in my life? I mean, who really gives this guy a right to tell me how to live my life? Who is this guy? I've never met this guy in my life. And he's telling me that I need to get right with the Lord. Well, fortunately, and by the grace of God, I, I chose to listen. I chose to receive that instruction in meekness because truthfully, not only did I oppose God, I was opposing myself. Look at verse 25. It says, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. I've got dear loved ones that are in this situation right now. You see, the lifestyle of a backslidden Christian is detrimental to self. Yes, it is sin against a holy God, but sin, regardless of how insignificant or how much pleasure is gained, it is self-inflicted destruction. Our own sin opposes us. 
This is a Bible truth. And because of that, may you and I, may we always make it a point to receive instruction. We all have blind spots, every one of us. May we receive instruction regardless of how we want to react in the flesh, regardless of the perceived authority of the one instructing, the one telling us. Proverbs 15.32 says, He that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul. But he that heareth reproof getteth understanding. And lastly, as we kind of wind down this morning, look at verse 25 again. And meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Lastly, we must repent. We must repent. And truly, this last step is a progressive step. And it is incorporated in every one of those steps. There's no getting from one to two to three to four without repentance. It permeates every one of them. It's the key that unlocks the power to living godly repentance. There's no scenario where we can be a vessel fit for the master's use without repentance. David wrote, thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. And a broken and a contrite heart, which means a repentant heart. Our repentance to God is greater than anything we can ever offer Him. We cannot worship God without repentance. Repentance. We must live a life of repentance. It's how we stay in the good fight of faith. All of us have committed spiritual adultery. We are guilty. But God remains faithful. And we can stay in the fight. And if you or someone you know has fallen by the wayside, if you feel that you or them have been discharged from the Lord's army, I challenge you to get back in the fight, to reenlist, to please Him who hath chosen you to be a soldier. And if you think that you're not simply worthy, good. That's a great start because none of us are worthy. But this passage teaches us that we can be fit for the Father. God has not cast you away. He knows who are His, and His foundation stands assured. In the beginning, I told the, about that soldier that committed adultery on his wife. I told him to do two things. This is a real story. I told him to call upon the Lord and to go call his wife and ask both of them for forgiveness. And this he did. And by some miracle, not only did his wife forgive him, God forgave him. God forgave him. God forgives us. Many of us cannot understand the grace required for a person to forgive a cheating spouse. But I must say our sin against God is infinitely greater. But so is his grace. So is his grace. Let's pray.